0: We're going to be in several locations in the Bible today. This is more of a topical message, and um, so that's how we'll uh, handle things today. So just be ready. Uh, your fingers will get a workout today. As I mentioned, we'll continue our series next week in the book of Mark, but I did want to stop and just uh, speak on the current events. In fact, Jesus would do that on several occasions in his earthly ministry. In fact, even some of his teaching would be tied on into the background of current events and so today we're going to look at the current events of what we're facing in our society. The title of the message today is entitled Tomorrow Facing Uncertain Days with Confidence and Compassion. And so with that said let's have a word of prayer. Father, pray that you'd bless this time together in your word as we journey through several passages of scripture looking at four truths that I believe are essential as we face every tomorrow and every day. Um, Father, may this time today be both uh, instructive, uh, may it be edifying, may it be exhorting and challenging to us. And uh, Father, just bless our time together today as we study your word and as we talk about the situation we have and the opportunities that we have as the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In times like these, it's important to consider current events and that are facing our world, our nation, and our communities. Um, I want you to know I'm not an alarmist, although sometimes maybe preachers can be known for that, being alarming and saying the sky is falling. Um, That's not the tone of the message today. Uh, I don't don't want it to come across that way. But at the same time, while I don't want to be an alarmist and work us up into a panic, at the same time I don't want us to be complacent either. And specifically in the realm of spiritual complacency because really we have an opportunity over the next several weeks to respond differently than how the world would respond. I, um, I believe Dwayne mentioned here, here this morning, you know, when you have a worldview that says you're nothing more than a higher evolved animal, then it is survival of the fittest. And you've seen that in stores. <laughs> uh, you've seen people literally going to fist blows over toilet paper. And so we know that we're not a highly evolved animal. We know that we're created beings of God and each one of us has eternal, infinite value because Jesus gave his life for us. And so we have a wonderful opportunity to respond in the days ahead in a unique way that hopefully will um, challenge the world to take a second look at the gospel. And so we don't want to be an alarmist today, but we also don't want to be complacent when impending potential danger could be approaching us. And so I love this quote. I've shared it recently on my social media page. Undeserved panic does no one any good, but neither does ill-informed complacency. And that was actually in my letter earlier. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse three, a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And so you see within that verse a balance, both of being prudent, but also not being simple and complacent. And so this verse, along with many others in God's word, teaches us to be wise, to be prudent. The word prudence means to be circumspect, to be sober, to be careful in providing for the future. Ooh, that would really apply right now, right? As we think about the future, the next several weeks. Prudence means skill and good judgment in the use of resources. Uh, When I think of the word prudence in scripture, I think of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph. And how Joseph was given um, advanced understanding by God that the nation of Egypt was going to face an incredible economic uh, hardship. They were going to face seven years of famine. And so Joseph was the probably, I guess, I'm not sure, y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was the first recorded prepper in human history. (laughs) So he prepped. He helped the nation of Egypt prep. And so are we to go dig a hole in the ground and prep and just huddle? I don't think that's what we want to do. But you see that Joseph, I think, had a balance of he understood that he was trusting in God. But at the same time, he understood that the information that he had been given was helpful in preparing not only his house, but the entire nation. And what an example we have the opportunity to be in the coming weeks. And by the way, if you're joining us by way of live stream this morning and you're a part of our church, we're so glad that you've joined in. Welcome. Good morning. And also, if you're a guest, thank you for joining in today. And so we just want to have wisdom and and prudence. Someone like Joseph, one who understood that there could be trying and difficult times and circumstances ahead for the world in which we live and to be prepared for those times so that the people of God could lead through uncertain days because they are trusting in a God that has provided a certainty beyond this life. Did you catch that? I think God has given to us as the body of Christ— the gift of wisdom so that we can foresee these things to be leaders in our communities, leaders in our our workplaces, because we can trust that a God has provided certainty beyond the uncertain days of this life. And so today I want to talk about how we as a church body face the coming weeks and months. These are truly unprecedented times in which we live. I don't think that I'm overstating that. Um, I think we're going to continue to see um, the, the, outf- the, the fallout of this as you know, businesses. I'm praying for all of you as business owners who are involved in businesses still. Uh, I'm praying for those who have retired. Our retirees probably noticed a lot in the financial markets the last couple of weeks. How many of you retirees noticed that something's not right with the stock market? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not looking good. And so what do we do? How do we respond to those things? Um, and so I believe we're living in truly unprecedented times. Um, I can't remember a time in my life when a whole nation of 60 million people, Italy, quarantined. Mandatory quarantine. Can you? Uh, who, who in here this morning is, 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 is here who was alive during World War II? Have anybody who was in here, alive during World War II? You know, I have no frame of reference as a 39-year-old, almost 40 um, of going through something such as that. I mean, the only thing that really has sh- shaken me in my life was 9 11. And I remember exactly where I was on the campus of Pensacola Christian College. I remember exactly who told me. I remember exactly my first reaction of, huh? You know, just, just absolute confusion and bewilderment. And so uh, this is a unique situation. Um, and regardless of what we think about the virus, um, there's obviously a reaction from a certain level of government. You know, why would, a, why would an entire nation of 60 million people mandatorily quarantine if it was, if it was just the flu, okay? Um, so anyway, there's a lot of debate on the science. We aren't going to get into the tall weeds of that today. Aren't you thankful? But the reality is is that we're living in unprecedented times. And we know this. We've studied scripture together as a church body for the last 10 years. And we know that times are upon us that are truly some of the most, yes, shaking uh, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, pestilence, but also some of the most exciting times to be alive. Truly. Some of the most exciting times to be alive. Knowing that God is at work in our world, bringing people to Himself, hastening the day of His soon return. And so, because of the uncertainty which we find ourselves in, these unprecedented times in which we live, um, there is much fear. Have you seen it on the news? There's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of panic. People are hoarding, and I love the memes, you know, the memes are so funny. Uh, Paul Weaver, by the way, is Paul Weaver here? I don't think he is, Paul, okay. Paul Weaver, I I love his memes during a time like this. They keep me laughing and smiling. Um, One of the memes uh, I think he shared was uh, the person who thinks they're being bright and buying the thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer. The problem is you leave none for anybody else so that they can also be sanitized. And so it just makes no sense. So panic, anxiety, fear. I I just want to publicly say something for a moment. Chris Morris, thank you and Connie for braving the grocery stores yesterday to go buy those supplies for these kids. Uh, They braved the grocery stores yesterday when Connie... um, When I talked to Connie and asked her to do that, I said, are you going to take any bodyguards? And she's like, oh, yeah, I got my husband. So anyway, um, thank you all for doing that. But yeah, fear, anxiety, panic, hoarding, worry about what tomorrow might hold, right? What's going to happen? What's going to happen in in a week? What's going to happen in two weeks? What's going to happen in a month? How long is this going to go on? And I'm sure that many of you are watching by way of live stream today, and you had that question, you know, and and it would be very easy to be overcome with fear, to be overcome with anxiety. Well, I want to give you four truths to think about here this morning. Hope you'll write these down if you can. Four truths to think about, and they're basic. I think they're things that aren't, you know, earth-shattering, but I think they're reassuring to us, and I think these things are great to be reminded of. So the first truth we're going to look at is this. Do not fear. Do not fear, but trust in his perfect love. Do not fear these times that we're facing, but trust in his perfect love. What does God's word say about fear? The Bible says in Psalm 56, verse three, at what time I am afraid. Have you found yourself fearful this week? Well, then this verse is for you. This is a good reminder for all of us. At what time I am afraid. I am tempted to fear. I am tempted to fear. be overburdened with what could happen tomorrow, I'm going to trust in God. Psalm 56, verse 3. The Bible says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Another verse that comes to my heart right here in this moment is, is uh, the psalmist said, I have been young and now I'm old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. God takes care of his children. God says, do not fear. Jesus would say to the disciples, and this was full of meaning to the disciples here in this moment, because he was about to go. Think about what was about to happen in Jesus' life when he had this conversation in the upper room with the disciples. He was about to go be crucified. They were about to scatter, fearful of their own lives. Peter was about to deny him. Jesus was going to be crucified. And they really had no idea yet of the fact that he was going to rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven 40 days later. And so Jesus wanted to prepare their hearts. He wanted to still their hearts for what was about to come. So he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so the God of the universe tells us that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, to trust Him. Now, I think Jesus was also thinking about the future, 40 years into the future to be exact, when the nation of Israel would go through one of the most Um, desperate situation. 70 AD, do you remember the story? In fact, Matthew 24 and 25 is all about Jesus foreseeing the destruction of the temple in this terrible time. And of course, I love prophecy because that passage in Matthew 24 and 25 almost has a double fulfillment. It certainly was speaking about 70 AD, but I believe also speaking about the end times. And you see Jesus, even in Matthew 24 and 25, foreseeing what was going to happen. And so he tries to prepare the hearts of the, of the nation. Why? So that they could have peace, trusting in God in uncertain days. So how do we look at tomorrow? How do we face these uncertain times with confidence and with compassion? Number one, God tells us in his word, do not fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He tells us in 1 John 4:18 um, uh, that perfect love casts out fear. I'll read that verse in a moment. And so this perfect love only comes from knowing Jesus and resting in his love brings peace, assurance, and confidence. But no matter what we might face, we have seen his face, and that is all that matters. Um, there have been times in my kids' life when they've been very afraid. You remember those times, kiddos? Uh, uh, storms specifically. There's, there's one of my kids that doesn't like storms and is always on, on edge when a storm is coming, when a tornado is coming. And there's times when I just have to, you know, take that child by the shoulders and say, Look at me, you're okay. You know what God's saying to us this morning as, as, as our Heavenly Father? He's saying, Christian, look at me, you're okay. Do not fear. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you have seen his face, when you have seen the truth of the gospel, it stills you, it grounds you, it gives you an unshakable confidence so no matter what circumstances we might face in life, he is enough and he has told us not to fear and so perfect love casts out fear. So the Bible says, do not fear. Number 2 though, God tells us to keep our perspective. To keep your perspective. Live each day with eternity in view. Turn with me to a passage. I want you to see this. I know we're just looking at several selected scriptures in God's word, but turn with me in your Bibles to this passage, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter number 13. Keep your perspective. Live each day with eternity in view. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is going to embark on um, addressing some current events. And he mentions two situations that had happened in the history of the Jewish nation, current events. And he mentions those to connect to a bigger principle that he's about to remind people of. And so he mentions two situations here. Let's just read the passage together. It says in verse 1, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Um, so, so situation number one, basically, some terrorism had occurred. Pilate had had killed some Galileans and, and mingled it with the with the worship. He had actually, I believe he'd actually gone into the temple and killed these people, which to the Jews was very, um, very sacrilegious. Um, It was very much viewed like a, what what a terrorist would do. You know, terrorists have no rules. They have even no rules of engagement in in war. Um, And so Jesus mentions this scenario, then verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? Um, Jesus brings up a common thought during this time period that bad things happened to people because they had been bad. Um, uh, he would address this also over in John chapter 9 when, when, when the disciples uh, found the man who was born blind. Do you remember the question? Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, in that he was born blind? So there was this idea of almost a pagan notion of karma. You know, you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get, you get bad. And so there was this thought that was, that was prevalent. And, and, and so Jesus brings this question up because he knows that that was the common thinking of the day. And so he brings that up. But then notice verse 3. He says, I tell you, no, you're asking the wrong question. You're, you're, you're trying to decide these things based on pagan worldly notions of karma. That's not it. No, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, lift your perspective off of the momentary on why this happened and ask yourself what's going to happen regardless of what happens. Where are you going after it happens? Do you see what he was trying to change? He was trying to change their perspective. He was trying to change the question and help them to understand there was a bigger question behind their question that they were concerned about. So many times in life we get hung up on the why, don't we? Well, then he brings up another current event. Or those 18, we, we, we preached this passage several years ago on one of the um, uh, Sundays when we were remembering September 11th. It says, Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So what was Jesus saying in these verses? He was saying that the most, important in question, the most important question in life is not the why. The most important question in life is, what then? We're all mortal. We all have bodies of clay. Sooner or later, we're going to take our last breath on this earth. Whether it's with this or whether it's with something else. And the most important question in life is, what, what's beyond that life? What's beyond this momentary life? The greatest tragedy of this life is not being prepared for the next life. That's what he was saying in these two stories. He's saying, listen, okay, these these people died and these people died. But the great tragedy is, were they prepared for the next life? And if you're watching by way of live stream today, my friend, do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Because no matter what happens in this life the great peace, the reason that we don't have to fear, that we don't have to be afraid, is because we have a bigger perspective than the rising and falling of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. We have a bigger perspective than the news that now 5,000 or however many thousand people are infected with this disease. We have a bigger perspective. We see the full story. We're not just caught up in one chapter with the momentary drama of that little moment But we are ever mindful of the astonishing drama of human history. The gospel from Genesis to Revelation. And so Jesus says here keep your perspective. And he says to repent. What does that mean? It means to change your mind, to change your perspective, to change your mind in this life about what this life means, to change your mind in this life about about your sin and about who Jesus is and to trust in him. And why does he say to repent? He says to repent because life is short. We'll be reminded of that very vividly over the next several weeks if we already haven't. Life is short. James 4, 14 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is our life, folks? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it's gone. It's like a good movie you get into. You're like, where did the two hours go? It's like a good book you start reading. Three, four hundred pages. You get to the end, you're like, wow, that was fast. That's going to be every one of us on our deathbed. We're going to be like, wow, that life went by fast. And you know what times like these do? It helps us to stop and treasure every day that God has given to us. Every moment, to keep our perspective, to remember that life is short. Because this life is short, it should change our perspective on what we value. I mean, not even know what that's a picture of. Yeah, Titanic, right? I think about this story often when we face tragedy, when we face uncertain times. Listen to this true story that comes from the Titanic and the sinking on that day in 1912. There was a well-to-do, frightened lady who found her place in a lifeboat that was about to be lowered into the raging North Atlantic. The, the, The Titanic was sinking. She was on the lifeboat. But suddenly, she thought of something that she needed in her stateroom. So she asked and that if she could have permission to get off that boat for just a moment to go to her stateroom before they lowered the boat into the North Atlantic. She was granted three minutes and that's it. Three minutes or they would have to leave without her. She ran across the deck that was already slanted at a dangerous angle, and she raced through the gambling room where all the money had rolled into one side, ankle deep. She ran through all that, never even looking at it. She raced right through to her stateroom and quickly pushed aside her diamond rings, all of her treasures, and she grabbed three small oranges. Food. Because she realized that what she was, about, she was about to encounter, she couldn't eat diamonds. She couldn't drink gold. She knew that her literal, literal survival was dependent upon possibly having those three small oranges. So she grabbed those oranges. She quickly found her way back to the lifeboat and got in. Now, that seems incredible because just 30 minutes or an hour earlier, she would never have chosen even a crate of oranges over even the smallest diamond. But death had boarded the Titanic. One blast of its awful breath had transformed all values. Instantaneously, priceless things had become worthless and worthless things have become priceless. And in that moment, she preferred three small oranges to a crate of diamonds. Our perspective of what is truly valuable changes when we are shaken to the core and reminded that life is fragile and fleeting. And so God tells us here today, in light of what we're facing as a nation, as a state, as a community, number one, don't be afraid. Number two, keep your perspective. Number three, love one another. Love one another. The visible manifestation of the gospel in your life is to love one another. It would be very easy to allow fear. So it goes back to the first point. If we're overcome with fear, isn't it true that when we're overcome with fear, we quickly turn our focus inward? You know what fear engenders and engenders something called self-preservation. You know why I know that? Look at the hoarders. Look at the dude who bought 17, did you hear the story? Have I told you 17, yeah, yeah, 17,700 bottles of hand sanitizer? And he was going to price gouge on people's fear. And so when we're overcome with fear, it's easy for us to turn inward. It's easy for us to forget our neighbor, to forget our loved ones and And we turn towards self-preservation. Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give unto you. I love the commands of the new covenant and uh, of of the gospel. He says, listen, it's it's about love. Because when you've loved, you fulfilled the law anyway. Because if you love your brother, you're not gonna steal from him. You're not gonna lie to him. You're not gonna kill him. And on down the list you go. Love is the higher law. And so he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And this is a command that you obey, not out of a sense of needing to earn God's grace, but because you've been given God's love, you then love. And so he says, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And so the challenge for us in these, in these times is to not forget about those around us, that we can show our love to, let's be mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ during these trying times that we might have to face, that we realize that there's brothers and sisters here in our church that might be at greater risk than us. And so that causes us to call them, to check in on them, to make sure that they have what they need, to think about our shut-ins, to think about our elderly, to think about those with chronic uh, sickness. As I mentioned to you earlier during the offering time, we'll be meeting with our deacon team this week on Tuesday evening and going through um, our care groups. Uh, By the way, you do have a care group. You are assigned to a deacon, and and, um, we're going to be going through those and um, coordinating any needs or attention that we need to give to those in our church that might be in need during this time. And by the way, if you have a need, please let us know so that we can serve and minister to you. Um, For 10 years we've been pooling together our resources as a body of believers and in times like these we need to make sure that we are um, taking care of one another. When you study the book of Acts, you find that they were going through something very similar in in the region of Jerusalem. There was a famine in that area. And so Paul had actually gone around to several churches and he had taken up a special love offering collection for the churches that were in need in Jerusalem. And so you see, even in the Bible, people going through difficult times of hardship, whether it was economic, whether it was a natural disaster, whatever it was. And so we need to love one another, especially here in the church, and take care of one another here in the church. And, and, and just let me say this by, by, by way of that. Um, you need to be prepared. This is where you're going to say I'm being an alarmist, all right? I'm not being an alarmist. I'm just saying you need to be prepared. For the next 30 to 60 days, you need to have a plan for how you're going to eat every day. At least. Um, better would be 90 days. If you don't have that yet, you need to get that in the next couple of days. Don't rush. Don't be in a panic. Just go and get it. If one store doesn't have what you need, you know, they don't have the rice or whatever, go to the next one. They'll, they'll restock their shelves, um, but you need to have a plan for that. We don't, this is unprecedented. We don't know, we don't know, you know, again, what's real, what's not. All we can go on is, what, is the information that we see. And so you need to have a plan for that. And we need to be helping one another to make sure that we're all prepared in that way. Um, and so let's think that through. We're gonna talk about that with our deacons and make sure that we're prepared for whatever might happen. And then also, not only to love one another during these times, but also to love those in our community. And I just want to thank, thank y'all so far for the response that, that you've already given towards this opportunity to love on some of these public school kids um, who are, live right on the poverty line. And so um, let's be mindful to help our neighbors during this time. Um, Jesus said, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself so to love one another within the body of Christ but also love our neighbors Uh, I was so inspired even yesterday um, um, who uh, and I hate to point them out individually but I'm thankful for my daughter who thought of this yesterday and she said dad what what are these kids gonna do that that um, go to these public schools who they're dependent upon um, the school system to get their lunches and and whether and again there there's a lot of political discussion in that should they be having meals provided, etc. Listen, the reality is, is they're not gonna eat if we don't do something at this time, which is unfortunate and that's sad that uh, they're not being taken care of properly at home. Um, but I'm thankful that her and others, um, I saw uh, Jessica post something on Facebook yesterday, kind of in the same vein of that. And, and so thank y'all for having a heart. Many of you have the same heart and, and you were all on board and, and, and commenting on the, on the Facebook post when I posted it. And so let's do what we can. We can't do everything, but we can do something for someone. And so don't let the fear or the concern, well, I can't do it for everybody, keep you from doing it for somebody. And so that's what we're going to do during this time. What, what, what we, can help. we can't help everyone, but we can help someone. And so let's love one another. And, and can I challenge you to do this too? Love your enemies. Love one another in the church. Love your neighbor out there in the community. And then love your enemies. You might have a neighbor who has, just has it in for you. They're your enemy. They don't like you. How are you going to treat them during this time of need? What kind of gospel are they going to see? Love one another. Let's not get caught up in loving ourselves. worried about how we're going to preserve self. Let's lay down our lives for the good of others. Love one another, keep her perspective, do not fear, and then finally be an ambassador. Oh, before we get there, I love Mr. Rogers, don't you? <laughs> good old Fred Rogers. I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. How many of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers? I never missed an episode. Can I just tell you this? Hold on, I'll, I'll, I'll get to this quote in a second. My favorite thing about Mr. Rogers was the trolley. You know, that trolley took you into the land of make-believe. And so I've always liked trains as a kid. And so I would set up, you know, just one engine. I, I never had the trolley, of course, but, but I would set up just, just a single engine without all the cars behind it and imagine that that was the trolley. And so uh, I've, I loved Mr. Rogers growing up. Kind of in this vein of loving one another, he said this. I thought this was a great quote. I saw this yesterday on social media. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, <laughs> look for the helpers you'll always find people who are helping. So that's the kind of person he was. And then be an ambassador. And so we take this message of the gospel, we live it out, and that in a a sense is we're being an ambassador. We share the good news of an eternal hope. What an opportunity we're gonna have in the days ahead to juxtaposition the cares and concerns of this momentary life with the reality of eternal life. And how we respond and how we act intentionally is going to really preach even so much more than a 30 or 40 minute sermon that I'm doing up here today on the stage. You're going to be living a sermon over the next several weeks. Make that sermon one that points people to Jesus over and over and always. And so be an ambassador. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a great passage on this. It says, For the love of Christ constrain us. There's our motive for being an ambassador. That we have a love for Christ and it's the love of Christ that inspires us to be his ambassadors. God says here in this passage, in this verse, that the church's main motivating force in its mission as an ambassador should be the love of Christ. Um, when you think about an ambassador, why does an ambassador serve his country? He serves his country because he loves his country, and he when and he wants to extend the benefits of that country into other countries, into other places, and maintain good dip, diplomatic relations. And so God calls us. He uses this word ambassador for a reason because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven. And so we're ambassadors for Christ because of God's great love and the wonderful freedom that we've been given over sin, death, and hell. The freedom from fear, the freedom from worry. And so we have a permanent citizenship in heaven. We're now at peace with God through the cross of his dear son. And so this verse says the love of Christ constrains us. That word constrain means to guide, to guard, to unify, to focus, to motivate and so to be an ambassador for Christ because of the love of Christ, the love for Christ and the love that we have for others as we were just talking about. And so how does, what, what's an ambassador's hard attitude? They basically say something like this, God, because of what you've done for me, how can I dare live for myself? You made the first move, God. You stepped in my direction. I'm going to offer my life to you and to others, not because I'm afraid of what you might do, but because I'm grateful for what you have done for me. You see, God never asks anything from you before he wants you to understand that he's done something for you, and that is the good news of the gospel. And so this is our motivation, the love of Christ and the love for Christ that we have for him because of his love for us. It goes on to say there in the next verse, and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. This is the heart of an ambassador. And so our objective then becomes life change. We henceforth know no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there's the transformation. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our objective is to make sure that people receive a relationship with Christ and they get a new identity in him. Do you see that new identity in that verse? A new creature. They have a transformed way of thinking. They have a transformed way of looking at the circumstances that are going on around about them. The people of God respond to crisis different than the people who do not know God, or at least we should. And so to be an ambassador, extending his kingdom forward. And I'm so thankful for the life of Jesus, because when you study the life of Jesus, he always had a heart for believing that people could change to the power of the gospel. He never gave up on Peter. Even though Peter blew it so many times, he was patient because he knew that what Peter needed wasn't just reformation. He needed a transformation at the heart level. And so our objective as ambassadors is to see people's lives transformed. And then our perspective, going back to our perspective of how we view others. You know, this verse, verse 16, it says... uh, Back to verse sixteen. Henceforth, know we no man after the flesh; yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet henceforth, now we know him no more. What does that mean? That's kind of a almost a riddle. It kind of does it. Basically, Paul's just saying we look at people differently now. We look at people differently now. When you're in the grocery store this afternoon, you know, getting your thirty to sixty day supply, you look at people differently. You don't look at th- them as a competitor for resources that you're going to, you know, beat up. You look at them as a soul for whom Christ died and you realize, okay, if they need it more than me, I'm going to trust God. He'll give it to me somewhere else. You see, you see how that response goes. And so our whole perspective changes on how we see people. God's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. How do we see other people? Do we see them as problems or as possibilities? Do we see them as obstacles in our way or do we see them as opportunities along our way? Do we see them as enemies or as friends? Do we see them as temporarily evolved animals or as eternally created souls? An ambassador. You see, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he wept. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And so, how do we face tomorrow? How do we face tomorrow? What's our message? Our message to the world is we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Stop worrying about whether you're going to get this virus and look at the reality that you have a spiritual sickness that is going to destroy your eternal soul. Turn to Christ. Trust him. So tomorrow, facing uncertain days with confidence, and compassion. Do not fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. Trust the Lord. His name is a strong tower that you can run into and it's safe. Why? Because perfect love casts out fear. Don't fear. Keep your perspective. Love one another. Be an ambassador. Regardless of what tomorrow might hold, we know who holds tomorrow. We've heard that said many a time, and that is something to be reminded of. And so our president has asked us to observe a National Day of Prayer today, and so that's what we're going to do for the remaining moments that we're here. I'm going to ask Caitlin and Rebecca to come back and to play that song that they played earlier, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. If you're joining us by way of live stream, we'd love for you to also be a part of this National Day of Prayer as we pray for our country, as we pray for those who already have the sickness, as we pray for our leaders and the decisions that they make, as we pray for protection. But most importantly, that this would be an opportunity where the kingdom of God would be increased with citizens, with people who place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so I'm gonna lead us through a time of prayer here in just a moment, but I'm gonna ask Rebecca and Caitlin to start playing and we're gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you'd like to, Get down on your knees. There, God hears you whether you're sitting in your chair or you're down on your knees, but there's something about prostrating ourselves before God that humbles us, that says in a visible and tangible way that God, we need you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you bless in these times of being still and praying, that we would remember that it's your deep, deep love that gives us an anchor. In a foundation that the world cannot take from us. Thank you that we have eternal riches in you, that we have been made spiritually whole in you, that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what tomorrow holds, we know that you hold all our days so Father, would you bless in this time as we pray and pour our hearts out to you for our nation, for our country, for our city, for our loved ones that we would see an end to this sickness that's going around and that in the process of all that, that we would be the body of Christ, that we would be ambassadors, loving one another, challenging people to change their perspective and giving the great news that they do not have to fear whatever happens in this life because Jesus Christ came to this earth He faced his fear of enduring the cross, becoming sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would hear our prayers now and we know that you do because of Jesus. Let's pray.